They labored in poorly lit, smoky single rooms, attached to merchants and lawyers, to insurance concerns and banks. They had sharp penmanship and bad eyes, extravagant clothes but shrunken, unused bodies, backs cramped from poor posture, fingers calloused by constant writing. When they were not thin, angular, and sallow, they were ruddy and soft. Their paunches sagged onto their thighs. Clerks were once a rare subject in literature. Their lives were considered unworthy of comment. Their workplaces hemmed in and small, their work indescribably dull. And yet one of the greatest of short stories is about a clerk. In Bartleby the Scrivener, 1853, Herman Melville, who had become famous for writing memoirs and novels about spectacular sea voyages to exotic islands, Gaining a readership, he eventually lost, with that strange long book about a whaling voyage, decided to turn inward to the snug, suffocating world of the office. The titanic hunt for the white whale was exchanged for the hunt for the right-sized pen, and for finding the right position to sit at a desk. If, for the sake of easing his back, he brought the table lid at a sharp angle well up towards his chin— and wrote there like a man using the steep roof of a Dutch house for his desk, then he declared that it stopped the circulation in his arms. If now he lowered the table to his waistbands and stooped over it in writing, then there was a sore aching in his back. Melville himself had worked as a clerk for a merchant in Pittsfield before he, as Ishmael put it, took to the ship. He knew from the inside the peculiar emptiness that office work could often have, its atmosphere of purposeless labor and dead-endedness. Even in Moby Dick he speaks of the thousands in Manhattan who idle along the battery, lost in sea reverie, avoiding returning to their work lives, pent up in lath and plaster, tied to counters, nailed to benches, clinched to desks. Appropriately, the few windows in the Bartleby office look out onto nothing but more walls. On one end, the unnamed narrator writes, the window faced the white wall of the interior of a spacious skylight shaft, penetrating the building from top to bottom, and on the other side, an unobstructed view of a lofty brick wall, black by age and everlasting shade. This wall, the narrator adds, wryly, required no spyglass to bring out its lurking beauties, but for the benefit of all near-sighted spectators was pushed to within ten feet of my window-panes. On two sides, then, two walls, one the white wall of the light-shaft, the other a soot-black brick wall hemming in vision and light. A walled-in window, a room with no view. But the office of Bartleby, like the Pequod of Ishmael and Ahab, is also a place of male bonding, cheery with camaraderie and bonhomie. The narrator, a lawyer, initially employs three clerks with absurd nicknames, Turkey, Nippers, and Gingernut, that he uses affectionately. Each of them behaves with exact predictability the same way every day. For example, Turkey, an old man, always ceases to get work done after his noontime dinner, which he takes with an inordinate quantity of wine, causing his face to blaze like a grate full of Christmas coals. But the boss is too kind to do anything Trump-like, 
and the distempered workers never challenge their boss. The entire order dissolves, however, when a sudden increase in the volume of business pushes the narrator into hiring a new scrivener, the eponymous Bartleby. He arrives looking pallidly neat, pitiably respectable, and, mysteriously enough, incurably forlorn. The narrator gives him a desk next to a window, but like the other windows it offers little to look at, Having originally afforded a lateral view of certain grimy backyards and bricks, but which, owing to subsequent erections, commanded at present no view at all, though the narrator concedes it gave some light. At first Bartleby works diligently, his thinness inversely proportional to his ravenousness for writing. As if long famishing for something to copy, he seemed to gorge himself on my documents— there was no pause for digestion. He ran a day and night line, copying by sunlight and by candlelight. I should have been quite delighted with his application had he been cheerfully industrious. But he wrote on, silently, palely, mechanically. The trouble comes when this routine is interrupted. The lawyer-narrator calls Bartleby in for assistance in comparing two copies of a document— after outlining the duty, the narrator is stunned by Bartleby's infamous reply, I would prefer not to. Repeating the maddening phrase at the narrator's every spluttering attempt to get him to work, Bartleby plunges the calm predictability of the office into thunderous irregularity. In the end, the lawyer, baffled by Bartleby's intransigence, his passive resistance, is forced to leave his office altogether. Bartleby himself is taken off to prison, where, bereft of his sustenance of documents, he starves to death.